0: So the title of my message for this morning is Following the Spirit's Lead. And it's a continuation of the series in Matthew we've been in. Galatians 5.25 says this, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We live by the Spirit, meaning that we said yes to Jesus, we were born again, made a new creation, and now we're basing our life on following him, and that's great, but what does it mean to not just live by the Spirit, but actually keep in step with the Spirit? What does it mean to keep in step with the in-the-moment, everyday life direction of the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to be aware of his nudges um, and his, the senses he gives us and the words that he speaks to us and and live by those. What does it actually mean to keep in step with the Spirit? That's what I wanna focus on for the morning. And the language keep in step with the Spirit automatically implies the supernatural. Keeping in step with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is God with us. And so keeping in step with the Spirit is not just reading the Bible and obeying it, which, by the way, we should all do that. That's great. That's the foundation. But it's not just reading the Bible and following it. That's not all that it means to keep in step with the Spirit. It also means to be aware of the supernatural leadings and nudges and words of God. It's to be supernatural people. Now, the awesome thing about being supernatural is that we have this value in the vineyard, which you've probably heard of, that we're naturally supernatural. What that means is that, look, the ministry of the Spirit can be weird enough all on its own. We don't have to make it any weirder than it already is. (laughs) We don't have to hype it. We don't have to make it showy. We don't have to add anything to it. We can just receive it. We can just receive it naturally supernatural. But it also means that the way the supernatural is expressed in our everyday life does not have to look fantastic. It can look simple and natural. Me responding to the supernatural leading of the Holy Spirit can be me pausing in an argument with a friend and asking God, God, what are you saying about this situation right now? Hearing from him and acting on it. It can be simple, it can be natural, it doesn't have to be fantastic, it doesn't have to be out there or strange or weird. And so as we, we're going to read this passage in Matthew two thirteen through 23, so you can turn to Matthew 2, verse 13 right now. And in this passage, what we see is that God leads Joseph, Mary, and baby Jesus out of Bethlehem through prophetic dreams and the dreams take them first to Egypt and then they are heading back to Israel they want to go to one place but then another dream they have takes them to where they end, eventually end up the city of Nazareth and so we see in this passage the an example of God supernatural leading and an example of Jesus and Mary and Joseph keeping in step with the spirit so let's read the passage Matthew 2 13 through 23 But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. Another mental bookmark, that he would be called a Nazarene. So let's talk about Joseph, Mary, and Jesus' journey. It's what we just read about, and it kind of starts with King Herod. And if you weren't here last week, I'll tell you that King Herod was a pretty evil guy, although he was very successful as a king additionally. And he was really troubled when he heard that a king of the Jews had been born in that region. So troubled that he devised this plan to get the people that told him that, the wise men, to tell him where this king was after they met this king so that Herod could then go and kill Jesus which is kind of crazy just to zoom out for a second because Herod was an old man at this point. He actually died like five years later. And I mean, this Jesus would have been five years old, you know. Jesus was young, so he probably wasn't actually threatened by little baby Jesus, but that just shows you the kind of man he was. So the... Uh, so, the plan was that the wise men, upon meeting Jesus, would then report back to Herod. But then the wise men were warned again in a dream not to go back to Herod. So, they went a different way home. And Herod eventually finds out about this. And before Herod can execute his plan B, which was, in which what he did, go and kill all of the male children to and under in Bethlehem in that region. Before that could happen, God warns Joseph in a dream of this imminent danger and tells him, flee to Egypt. And so Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus flee to Egypt. Now, why Egypt? Why would God have them go to Egypt? Um, One commentator brought up some good points. Egypt was a natural place to which to flee, It was nearby a well-ordered Roman province outside Herod's jurisdiction, and according to Philo, its population included about a million Jews. So so that was a good place to go. Already a million Jews there, well-ordered. But also, as we read, and I told you to make a mental bookmark, Hosea 11 verse 1 gives uh, this interesting there's this interesting passage there where the author says out of egypt i called my son and so by them fleeing to egypt and then eventually coming back the prophecy about the messiah in the old testament was fulfilled so egypt was significant in that way so then Herod he does he kills children to and under as van shared last week Herod was just such an evil guy, listen to this quote from uh, David Guzik, and I believe we have a slide for this, whoever's back there, so if you want to throw that up. Um, Especially in his last years, Herod was cruel and suspicious. When he knew that his death was approaching, Herod had many Jewish leaders of Jerusalem arrested on false charges. He ordered that as soon as he died, they should all be killed. He knew well no one would mourn his own death, so he was determined that some tears be shed when he died. Evil guy. And so then we have another prophecy fulfilled here. Uh, This is a quote from a commentator named Poole. This prophecy, Jeremiah 31, verse 15, was literally fulfilled when Judah was carried into captivity. This is the Old Testament. Uh, There was then a great mourning in the tribes of Benjamin and Judah for their children that were slain and carried away into captivity. It was now fulfilled, that is, verified a second time. So that's two prophecies about the Messiah fulfilled from the Old Testament. So through two more prophetic dreams, Joseph is led out of Egypt, and uh, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, that is. And as they're heading back to the land of Israel, Joseph's first thought, as is applied by the text, is we should go to Jerusalem. If we have the future king of the Jews, the Messiah, if we have one who's meant to be a great leader and teacher of this nation, we should go to Jerusalem where he can get a proper education. That would have been the natural line of thought. But through two things, one, he found out that Herod's son was actually reigning in Judea, so that was strike one to going back there. But then two, which cemented it, he had another dream and instead decided to settle in the land of Nazareth. Now, Nazareth was an interesting place for them to go for a few reasons. First off, this is uh, from a guy named Bruce. It is suggested that Joseph wished to settle in Jerusalem, deeming that city the most suitable home for the Messiah. But the God judged the despised Galilee a better training school for the future savior of publicans, sinners, and pagans. Yeah. And then, uh, this is from Guzik. "'Growing up in Nazareth, Jesus would mature in boyhood "'and then in his young adulthood. "'He would fulfill the responsibilities "'expected of an eldest son, "'and then at some point, Joseph disappeared from the scene, "'and Jesus became the man of the family. "'He worked his trade, supported his family, "'loved his God, and proved himself utterly faithful "'in a thousand small things "'before he formally appointed or entered his appointed ministry. "'Yet no one would be intimidated "'to meet a man from Nazareth.' The tendency would be to immediately think oneself better than a person from Nazareth. So, Nazareth was an important place for Jesus to go, and it actually fulfilled a third prophecy. The third prophecy is out of Isaiah fifty-three, and it, you probably heard it before. It's probably the most famous prophetic passage in the whole Old Testament. But in Isaiah fifty-three is where Isaiah says, talking about the future Messiah. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nothing to attract us to him. And goes on to say he was despised and forsaken by men. And so Jesus, in growing up in this looked-down-upon kind of place, rather than the capital religious center of Jerusalem, fulfilled the prophecy yet again. So that's three prophecies fulfilled just from their journeying while Jesus was a toddler. So why do, I sh- why do I share all that? Every single yes that Joseph and Mary gave to God's leading, every time they had a dream, got direction, and said yes to it, they were not only stepping into the will of God for that particular moment and circumstance, but they were also setting the stage for Jesus' ministry 30 years in the future. Why? Because it was really important to the Jews that he was ministering to and teaching, and then later the Jews that were being shared the gospel from the apostles, it was really important to that Jewish audience to know that Jesus actually fulfilled the prophecies of the Messiah. The Jews never would have accepted Jesus if he hadn't done things like this, if he hadn't fulfilled some of these prophecies. And these prophecies that we just read are especially important. It was especially important that Jesus fulfilled them because they were completely outside of his control, right? He couldn't control as a one or two year old that he was gonna go to Egypt. And he couldn't control as a two or a three year old that he was gonna go back to Israel and settle in the land of Nazareth. And so it's this cool thing that we see. It's like, it's, it's like this puzzle that's being put together each time they said yes to to God, yes, they avoided death and they avoided a threat, but they also were building this bigger picture of this Messiah who was coming and fulfilling prophecies as he came to demonstrate to everyone that yes, I am the Messiah. So each individual yes was like a piece of the puzzle, but there was also a bigger picture in mind. And that's true for us as well. Every single time that we say yes to the leading of the Holy Spirit, it's gonna probably accomplish some small thing in our everyday life, but it's also contributing to the bigger picture, intention, and will that God has for our life. That's why it's so critically important that we not just live by the Spirit, but we keep in step with the Spirit. So let's talk about how do we do that? How do we keep in step with the Spirit? First, we keep in step with the Spirit when we are in a rhythm of completing the assignments God gives us and seeking new ones. So let's read John 151. So what it says. And he said to him, Jesus to Nathanael, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Real interesting verse here, a lot of depth. First off, because this is an allusion, Jesus is almost certainly making an allusion to an encounter that happened in the book of Genesis where Jacob, one of the patriarchs of Israel, saw heaven opened up and a ladder come down and angels were ascending and descending on the ladder. It was kind of like his first encounter with God where now this wasn't just the God of his father and grandfather, but this was his God. And it symbolized the um, barrier between heaven and earth being opened. And it makes sense because the people of Israel were actually the vehicle by which heaven came to earth in the Old Testament, by which the kingdom was expressed and manifested. It was through the people of Israel. And Jacob's name, as you probably know, some of it became Israel. So a lot of depth to this verse. Now, I find it interesting that Jesus says to the people listening to him at that point in time, on the Son of Man, you will see the angels of God ascending and descending. I mean, to be precise, he says, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, on Jesus. Now, to my knowledge, that didn't actually happen in any of the gospel accounts that we have. We do have have moments where the disciples would have seen the heavens opened, like when Jesus was baptized and a few other places. But there isn't actually a time in uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John where the disciples specifically see angels ascending and descending on Jesus. And so what I think Jesus was trying to communicate here was um, bigger than just that kind of like specific event. One, what he was trying to tell them in saying that was you will see the inauguration of the kingdom of God here on earth. You will see the collision of heaven and earth, heaven breaking into our world to destroy the works of the devil and release the goodness of God into every aspect of our world. You are gonna see that happen, which they certainly did and partnered with God to initiate and establish and advance that kingdom. But then also, I wanna focus in on this image of angels ascending and descending. That's a central part of this uh, phrase that Jesus gives. And, of the thing that actually happened in the book of Genesis. And what we, what we know about angels is that they get assignments from God and accomplish them usually in partnership with human beings on earth. And, and so the idea here that I think Jesus wants us to get is that these angels are coming from heaven with an assignment from the father, descending to earth on Jesus partnering with Jesus to accomplish whatever that assignment was and then upon accomplishing that assignment, ascending back to heaven to get their next one. So you kind of see it's like a cycle of heavenly assignments. Now here's the awesome thing. Jesus lives inside of you and me. So what does that mean? That means, don't take this too far, it could become weird, but That means angels are ascending and descending on us. And what I think that means for us is that picture of receiving an assignment from heaven, accomplishing it, and then seeking another assignment. I think that's a cycle that all of us are gonna be in for our entire time on this floating piece of rock. We will receive an assignment from heaven, accomplish it, and then move on to the next one. And that'll be a cycle that continues until the day we die. And I I see this in my own life. When I first met Jesus and really dedicated my life to him, my primary assignment then was being a light and ministering to my friends. I did, I did it very imperfectly because um, I think part of my assignment then also was just to grow in my faith myself. But as me and, and, uh, and Wilson and some others I was around did that, eventually one of our friends came to us and said, hey, I got impacted by church service I went to. I've never known God, but will you teach me about him? And so we started teaching our friend about Jesus and then accidentally started a young adult ministry called House Group. And so what actually happened in that time that I wasn't aware of was I had accomplished an assignment and God was giving me a new one. The first one ministered to my friends, what he intended to do with that time happened, now moved on to my next assignment. And I've had other assignments since then. Um, I've had this, I've experienced this, this cycle of assignments from heaven. And it's not just, this is not just for pastors, um, I have a friend and a mentor and a guy who uh, serves and does a ton around here, Rob Clippard. Anybody knows Rob Clippard? I was talking to Rob recently, and he was telling me about how he did a ton of youth ministry kind of earlier in his life, and then he went from that into serving on uh, in the Alpha ministry for a while here and saw tons of God things there, and now he's doing... Other things and serving on the church's pastoral advisory committee. And it just kind of was another reminder to me that, oh, yeah, God does this with all of us. You don't have to be in full time ministry. God gives us assignments, we complete them, and then we seek Him for our next one. Now, here is the catch. And it's not really a catch, but it's something to watch out for because there's a point in this cycle that often trips people up. And that point is the time between finishing an assignment and getting the next one. That is often a point in time where we get tripped up. Why? Because more often than not, at least in my experience, there is a delay between finishing one assignment and moving on to the next one. And it's strange. You would think that You know, we get an assignment from God, we accomplish it here on earth, and then he'd be like, great job. Here's another one real quick. Let's get as many done as we can, right? But there's often a delay between finishing one assignment and getting our next one. And I've seen this in my own life and other people's lives. I'm like, Lord, why is there a delay between those two points in the cycle sometimes? And I was reminded of when I was 14, let me go back to 13, when I was 13, and I was begging my parents for a cell phone. Now, the cell phones that that we had back then, like the one I eventually got was a flip phone, no camera, no video camera, no games, nothing special, calling and texting with the not, you know, with press the number six times to get to the letter you want and then go on to the next one, right? So. That's the phone. But I I remember begging my parents for a cell phone. And you know what? There was a delay in me begging for that phone and actually getting it. There was a delay in me seeking that phone. And, And why? Why did my parents delay in giving me the phone? Why didn't they just give it to me the second that I asked for it? Well, one, they wanted me to be prepared for it and the responsibility that would come along with it. And the challenges that will come along with it. But then, two, they wanted me to value it. And sometimes God delays us going from one assignment to the next one so that we can be prepared for that assignment. It, we may think we're prepared, but we're probably not. But also so that we can value it when it does come, so that we can realize, wow this is a big thing he's trusting me with. I'm not gonna take it lightly. I'm not gonna take it flippantly. So we keep in step with the spirit when we are in a rhythm of completing the assignments God gives and seeking new ones. And I think that it's possible that some of you are in that delay right now. And maybe there's frustration around that delay, which would be natural. Just know, I bet you, God is preparing you right now in that delay and teaching you how to value what's coming next. And when it does come, it's going to be so much better than if you had it right this moment. <clears throat> Secondly, we keep in step with the Spirit when we are embracing our identity as sons and daughters. Super cool that this service has been about identity so far. From the ministry earlier, some of the worship songs. But let's read Romans 8, 14 through 17. Verse 14, for all who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. So being led by the spirit of God, it's not just for the super spiritual Christians. It's for the sons and daughters of God, period. And guess what? If you put your faith in Jesus, you are a son and daughter of God for life. Nothing you can do to change it. And so when we embrace our identity as sons and daughters of God, it increases our ability to be led by the Spirit, to hear the voice of God, to be aware of the nudgings of the Spirit. Now, the enemy of God, Satan, hates it when we are led by the Spirit of God. And so what does he do? He lies to us about our identity. He gets us to believe false things about our identity. How about this one? You can't hear God clearly because you're not doing enough. You're not reading your Bible enough. That's why you can't hear God. You haven't been going to church enough. That's why you can't hear God. You have been praying enough. You were praying way more a year ago. That's why you could hear God then and you can't hear God now. What is that? That is the lie from the enemy that you have to earn the permission to hear God's voice. No, you don't have to earn the permission to hear God's voice. Hearing God's voice, being led by the spirit of God is a part of your identity as a son and a daughter of God, which can't be taken away from you. My son Titus is always gonna be my son. He can't do anything to not be my son anymore. Same is true with you and the Father. Another lie the enemy tries to get us to believe, and this is the oldest trick in the book, okay? This goes back to the garden with Adam and Eve, that you don't hear God clearly, so there must be something wrong with you. It's a perversion of God's words. You don't hear God clearly, so there must be something wrong with you, you know? If you take that verse, those who are led by the Spirit of God those are the children of God, you can pervert that to mean if you're not feeling led by the spirit of God right now, you must not be a child of God. That's the devil's spin on that verse. That is not truth. The truth is that you're a son and a daughter of God. And, and you know, with a lie, with a lie that classic, I just like to laugh at it personally. <laughs> you know, There's a psalm where it says, he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, talking about God laughing at his enemies. And we're seated in heavenly places, right? According to Ephesians 1. So I think that we that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh at the lies of the enemy. (laughs) The third lie that the enemy might try to get you to believe is that I'm just not wired to be a spiritual person. Like there are people out there that can hear God and, and hear his voice and be led by his spirit, but that's just not who I am. No, it's clear here. Those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. It's part of who you are to be led by God's spirit. Now, I understand that some for some of you, some of the Holy Spirit stuff that you might see can look kind of strange and weird. And you're like, what is that person doing over there during worship? What's happening over here? And it can be unfamiliar. And, and maybe you even think that you're discerning that some of it actually isn't God and some of it is just the person. Well, yeah, we're human beings. You know, there are certainly going to be times where I think that I'm engaging with the Holy Spirit in a certain way, but I'm actually not. I'm I'm engaging with my own idea or what I you know there's a time where I might think that I'm hearing from God but really I'm just hearing my own thought and so yes that totally does happen but my encouragement to you if you're if that's kind of where you are if you're kind of like I'm not so sure about this more spiritual stuff um, it seems kind of strange to me it seems kind of weird to me my encouragement to you is um, use the discernment you're using that's good discernment is a good thing. But don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I know for you that if you're not hearing God, if if you've never really been one to hear God's voice, that is something that God wants to give you. And so don't write it off just because you maybe have seen it abused in another place or not done properly. Yes, that is happening all over the place. And it's a problem that needs to be addressed. Um, But God wants to speak to you. God wants to lead you in this in-the-moment, everyday life kind of way. There's an invitation for you this morning to step into that. Okay, I'm gonna skip this one, but I'll read it for you because I know some of you like taking notes. We keep in step with the spirit when we practice the ministry of Jesus in our everyday lives. Okay, I'll say one thing. So, (laughs) to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to proclaim the kingdom of God, to share the gospel, We don't need prophetic nudgings for any of those things. We have clear instructions from Jesus himself to do those things. And so, part of us keeping in step with the Spirit is actually continuing to value and be passionate and practice those things to not get distracted from the main and the plane. Next one we keep in step with the Spirit when we are humble. So let's read Matthew 18:2 through 4. And he called a child to himself and sent him and set him among them and said, "Truly I say to you, unless you change and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven." So whoever will humble himself like this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And sorry, I mislabeled this. That's not Mark 10:15. But Mark 10:15 says a very similar thing. <laughs> Matthew 18, 2 through 4. So we keep in step with the Spirit when we are humble. And what that means is that humility is often the key that unlocks more of the kingdom. And so that sound, you know, there's other verses that God gives grace to the humble. Like humility is the thing that will open up more of God's rule and reign to us in our lives and the lives of people around us. Now, it sounds simple, right? Just be humble. But the thing is, human beings have egos, right? And because we have egos, when we might might be humble in one moment, but then we might start getting some success and ooh, I prayed for that person and this happened or oh man, I led this Bible study and this happened, or wow, I really impressed my spouse with this Valentine's Day gift. Reminder to all of you men in the room, it's coming up soon-ish. Um, and, you know, we start to feel good about ourselves and, and our ego starts to get puffed up and, and pretty soon we are more excited about what we're doing than about what God is doing. And what is that? Well, That's a form of pride. And typically when we fall into pride, the delay that we might be experiencing between one assignment and the next, or actually the delay in us fulfilling our current assignment, is gonna be extended until we're humbled. And God will typically give us a time where we can repent and humble ourselves. But if we don't take that, let me assure you, he will humble us. And oftentimes, it's he will humiliate us. <laughs> not in a shaming way, but in a, I really want you to learn, yet again, that this is not all about you. This is about the work of the kingdom. This is about Jesus. So the best, some, one of the best scriptures about how to humble yourself, I love, out of Philippians 2. Uh, it's the one where Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. And then let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And the reason that Paul is telling the Philippians, regard others as better than yourselves, well, what do you think it is? It was because instead of doing that, they were regarding themselves as better than everyone else. And so Jesus flips it on its head and says, no, regard others as better than you. Now, the main point there is not that we need to, like, think low of ourselves, and it also doesn't mean that we need to pretend that someone is better than us at something when they're really not, you know? It does, like, if you know that you know way more about the Bible than someone else, pretending that they know more than you is not It's not really going to be that fruitful. Because I think the real thing that Paul is trying to get at here is the comparison. It's the comparison that was happening. It was the, ooh, I know that I know more than you and you and you and you. That makes me feel better because, because I'm better than you and I can see that in these demonstrative ways. And that's another human thing that we just do. We compare ourselves with the people around us, we find ways to view ourselves as better than them, and we let it build up our own ego and make us feel better. And so I think being aware of that and then fighting that temptation from the enemy to compare yourself to others, to make you feel better about yourself, to make you feel more important, is one of the primary ways that we grow in humility, Last, we keep in step with the Spirit when we are finding our life's purpose in Jesus. Mark 8, 34 through 37 says this, then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Following the Spirit's lead requires us to find our life's purpose in Jesus. I love this verse out of Hebrews 11, talking about the heroes of the Old Testament. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. They weren't living for this country. They weren't living for this planet. They were living for the next one, first and foremost. And so, um, if we are living for earth, if we are primarily consumed with what's happening here on earth, then we, aren't, we really just aren't living for the kingdom, our care and concern for earthly things even the precious ones like our children must be anchored in the context of a greater kingdom purpose so i don't just love my son i love him to show him what god the father is like and i don't i'm not just raising him to be a good man i want to raise him to be a good follower of jesus my life's purpose is not first and foremost about earthly things it's about heavenly things Another great verse out of Hebrews, for here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. And so sometimes when we feel a block in our ability to discern what God has next for us, there might need to be a reordering of our priorities. We might need to afresh tell God that first and foremost, my life is about you. It's more about you than my job, It's more about you than my church. It's more about you than even my family. It is first and foremost about you. So let's stand. Prayer teams, you can come forward. So I'm gonna pray a blessing and I believe God is going to empower us each in a different way but an equally important way to take a step of growth in following his spirit and being led by his spirit. So in Jesus' name, with his authority, I bless you right now to be people who follow the spirit of God. And Lord, I ask that you would bless all of us to better hear your voice, to better discern your nudgings and your leadings, and to lead us into all that you have for us. And I pray encouragement over us as we meet opposition during that and as we find ourselves in that delay period. Encouragement and boldness and um, perseverance to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.